Welcome to Micro, I'm Drew Hawkins, and this episode is part of an interview series for Miami Book Fair, where members of Team Micro, that's myself, Dylan Evers, Maymay Kaufman, and Kirsten Renault, interview authors appearing at the fair about their work. For more information about their programming and to check out the incredible roster of authors appearing this year, visit MiamiBookFair.com. And be sure to follow them at Miami Book Fair and hashtag Miami Book Fair 2022 for more updates. Now, back to the show. Welcome to Micro. I'm Dylan Evers, and today I'm speaking with award-winning author Ingrid Rojas Contreras. We'll be talking about her new book, The Man Who Could Move Clouds, a memoir, published in July 2022 by Doubleday. To start the show, we've asked her to select and read a passage from the book. So here's Ingrid Rojas Contreras reading from The Man Who Could Move Clouds, a memoir. Enjoy. They say that accident that left me with temporary amnesia is my inheritance. No house or piece of land or chest of letters, just a few weeks of oblivion. Mammy had temporary amnesia as well, except when she was eight years old, I was 23. When she fell down an empty well, I crashed my bicycle into an opening car door. When she nearly bled to death in Ocaña, Colombia, in darkness, 30 feet below the earth, I got to my feet seemingly unharmed, and wandered around Chicago on a sunny winter afternoon. When she didn't know who she was for eight months, I couldn't remember who I was for eight weeks. They say the amnesias were there to gifts we were supposed to have, which Mami's father, Nono, neglected to pass. Nono was a curandero. His gifts were instructions for talking to the dead, telling the future, healing the ill, and moving the clouds. We were brown people, mestizo. European men had arrived on the continent and violated indigenous women, and that was our origin, neither native nor Spanish, but a wound. We called the gifts secrets. In the mountains of Santander, the fathers had passed the secrets to the sons, who passed the secrets to the sons, who passed the secrets to the sons. And none of his sons, Nono said, had the testículos required to be a real curandero. Only mommy, strong-willed, unafraid, more of a man than most men in his eyes, whom he liked to call mi animal de monte, could have housed the gifts. But mommy was a woman, and such things were forbidden. If a woman came to possess the secrets, it was said that misfortune would soon follow. Yet, as eight-year-old mommy recovered from her injuries after falling down the well, and as her memories returned, it so happened that from wherever her mind had gone, she brought back the ability to see ghosts and hear disembodied voices. The family says Mami was destined for the secrets, and since Nono couldn't teach them to her, the secrets had come directly to her. Four decades later, when I suffered my accident and lost my memory, the family was thrilled. Diaz poured drinks, told one another with an air of festivity, there it goes again, the snake biting its own tail. And then they waited to see how exactly the secrets would manifest in me. 
This is a story that happens in Spanish when mommy and the tías call each other vos, the archaic thou, but they use tú with me, the informal tender you. Theirs is the way of speaking in Ocaña, where our family is from and where language can sound like a colonial fossil. In Spanish, our stories are slow, then fast, and we cackle constantly. Mami and I are spooked by the way our lives echo each other's, so we don't often discuss our amnesias, but increasingly, this is an itch I must scratch. I scrape and scald at its touch, only to want to probe into it again. Betias asked me to tell them what it was like to live without a memory. I focus on trying to communicate how surreal it was, how cinematic. Betias roll their eyes at me, but they do so while looking at one another, like I am a bad television show they are watching and can safely comment on. Such a gringa, no? What they really want to know is what I dreamt. For mommy and for me, during our bouts of amnesia, our waking lives were punctuated by a constant state of confusion, but our dreams were grounding. Mami's dreams were sequential, and in her dreams, she was a ghost. In mine, I had no body, and as I say this to the tías out loud, I realize I too believed I was a ghost. We have a word in Spanish for the walking of the dead, desandar, to unwalk, to walk until the walking is worn thin, to walk until the walking undoes even itself. That ghosts have a particular way of walking is an idea we inherited from the settlers who invaded the continent, but what is intrinsically ours is the sense of porosity and understanding that we live between the real and unreal and that often they are the one and the same. So to us, the living go on ghost walks too. Thank you very much. Um, can you uh, please tell me why you chose that passage? Um, I guess it's the one that opens the book and it's such a complicated narrative that I often will sometimes read for, from the beginning just because it um, does, I think, a, a good job at um, launching, this, launching the story. It's also a chapter that the first chapter is one that I worked on for a long time, maybe seven years before I actually like worked on the on the rest of the book. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm very fond of the beginning. Yeah, yeah, that's actually a section that I underlined the ghost walk part. So um, uh, I recently um, saw your Twitter thread about the organizational structure of your memoir. Um, you described the structural mapping. And I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit more about the process of creating this structure. Yeah, um, I'm I'm usually a writer who doesn't like to have too much of a plan as I'm drafting, but it's, so I like to just show up to the page uh, when it's early on and just do whatever feels right. At some point when I hit about page 100 is when I get completely lost and that's when I need a, a map and that's when I need a structure. Um, so initially I just, I, I went through all of these series of mapping as I was working on, on the book and one of them had to do with, it was just like the simplest um, structure that was just, you know, we begin with like an, um, the unearthing of, of my grandfather, um, which is part of what the memoir is about, is traveling back to Colombia and doing the disinterment of my grandfather's body. Um, and then ending with, you know, uh, what happens at the end when we, when we have unearthed the body. Um, and then throughout, I... Um, it, the 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 structure of it started to get so complicated 
Um, and I started to think about poetic arguments as a way to organize the stories that were in there. Um, the book does switch a lot in time, um, and but there's what I, the connective tissue between everything sometimes is a repeating story. So something happens in my mother's life and then there's some strange uh, mirror that, you know, that same story happening in my life um, or my grandfather's life. And another times it's um, I am I'm thinking about words as symbol and I'm thinking about how the symbol is developing throughout the throughout the memoir. So I I just created like this um, just very involved, intense um, map um, tracking all of the symbols. Um, and yeah, I, I just kind of like in the end printed all of the all, the, the the new kind of order that I had made based on the poetic argument and cut cut each line out and then just kind of like rewove it into an order and then that's what I used to to edit the book. And so you physically wove um basically your your whole memoir together um based yeah. on ideas. Um and I find that really incredible. Um and then you describe uh, your mother telling you to switch two sections. Um, can you talk yeah. about that? <laughs> so, yeah, so sometimes my mother will say, what are you up to? And instead of answering, I will just take a photo of what I'm doing and send it to her. So this mm-hmm. was one of the ways <laughs> I was I was doing this restructuring and I just happened to send her a photo of what I was doing. Um, and I think by, by then I had done this simplified map on a different piece of paper so that I knew what to move where mm-hmm. um and she said this is wrong and she doesn't you know she her her understanding of of, of English is very um rudimentary at best um and yet she she just told me like two two things were out of order and she told me to, to switch them um and I you know I, anytime that my mother does something like that, I, I think that it's so pretentious and so annoying. And then when I actually was thinking about what she was asking me to do when I when I was, you know, actually entertaining, oh, what happens if I f- move this chapter mm-hmm. here? Um, I was like, this solves all of my problems. <laughs> right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so not only did you physically weave the structure together into a tapestry, but you've also used a lot of other physical elements to create this memoir. Um, your Polaroid camera uh, to capture images that are in the book and also your typewriter. Yes. Yeah. So what is it about this like physicality that really speaks to you? Yeah, I I think sometimes when I'm I'm at the computer, I can access one way of thinking and you know the the reason why I wanted to to physically you know do a weaving of the structure you know print it out and then re reweave the order was that I I think that when I do things physically I access a different way of thinking mm-hmm. it's almost like I'm thinking with my whole body as opposed to just with my brain mm-hmm. um, so just sometimes it just really makes things possible for me or it really opens doors or I come up with solutions that I wouldn't have otherwise Mm -hmm. I think maybe it just involves abstract I can get I can get more access into the abstract thinking that way you know I I imagine that because it's I'm I'm trying to think with my body and intuition as opposed to 
Um, I think oftentimes when I'm at the computer, I just feel like a giant brain typing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, so I think with, you know, when I'm, when I'm using the typewriter, it's just such a physical, um, exercise and Mm -hmm. the, the speed in which I am writing is very different. So my sentences end up sounding very different just because I, you know, I can type so quickly on the computer, um, and so it just it's actually it changes it changes the, the composition, I think. Um, but yeah, but it yeah, I, I love to do all of these. I, I think I just really love to to involve the body because I there's there's another kind of intelligence there that, that lives in the body. Yeah. And so much of um, of your memoir is about the, the connection or even disconnect between the mind and the body um, and, and what the body remembers, but the mind forgets. Um, and those memory lagoons. And um, so it really is a, a sort of different way of knowing. Um, and you describe yeah. that really well in this memoir. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I think that I've, I've just always been really struck. And I, especially after losing my memory and then figuring out that even though I didn't have in my mind a, a memory of someone or of something, that sometimes my body... had some kind of sort of collected memory of of that person or of a place um, that I didn't. And I found that to be so fascinating. Um, Yeah, so I I think that there is really, you know, often what I feel is that our bodies know um, the things that we don't know yet. So Mm -hmm. sometimes it, you know, your body kind of knows something and you have to catch up to it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, so much of this book describes the living document of oral storytelling, um, from generation to generation and from person to person. Um, how do you feel now that you've committed these stories to like the printed page? Um, do you ever want to keep expanding upon them? I kind of do. Um, and I don't know, you know, like I, I have been working on some short stories, um, and I do feel that maybe that's, I do feel that I am expanding on what I wrote in the memoir in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, but it's too early to tell. Right. Uh, but I do, I think my intention is that I, uh, with writing the memoir, th- there was just such a richness in the orality of my family and the the village where I'm from, where my family is from, that putting it down in a book to me felt so important just Mm -hmm. also because things are changing so quickly. Um, And I, I think I got, I just really wanted to preserve it in some way Mm -hmm. by by writing the book. Um, And, and now that I've done that, I just, I really kind of, there's so many things, you know, still that I, that I learned in that trip or that I uncovered or stories that I heard about my grandfather, my mother as, as traditional healers that didn't fit into the book because it you know it um it didn't uh fit the poetic argument that I was <laughs> trying to make that we were talking about earlier um but yeah so I so I think that maybe my next project would be to expand into it but in um in fiction oh okay wow um so what has the uh speaking of um uh, your family and the people that you spoke to, um, what has the reception been like so far for that 
first row, as you said in another interview, um, of your audience for the people who you're speaking to with this work? Uh, I so my dad uh, has a copy. I don't know if he started to read yet. My sister also has a copy, and I think she has started to read. Um, and I told my mother the story out loud because she's mm-hmm. just allergic to books. She just does not. She does not like reading if you force her to read anything she'll just she'll be like why you know why was I born I shouldn't be doing this you know (laughs) Um, but with her what I what I did is I early on when I before the book came out I called her on the phone and I did an oral telling of the of the memoir Mm -hmm. so I just called her and I kind of you know was like chapter one and then just you know as I was flipping the pages I was summarizing what was what was in there mm-hmm. um yeah and she, yeah so she she's gotten the the story that way and that's 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 another layer of the storytelling so you know the yeah. novel <laughs> keeps going <laughs> that's great yeah um during your writing process um are you normally uh which language are you normally writing in uh is it English is it Spanish is it both I, I guess it depends on what language I'm surrounded by. Mm-hmm. So when, I, when I'm when i in Colombia, I'm visiting my parents who live now in Mexico City, and I'm surrounded by Spanish, I find that I start to just write in Spanish. Um, it's almost it's almost like I I love to wake up in that texture of language, you know, the, the street sounds and, you know, all of the things that mm-hmm. come in and out of your consciousness. And I, I think that it does really influence or affect me or start to I start to think about the music of what I'm hearing and then just wanting to do something with it um but yeah but now that when I'm in the U.S. and you know I spend most of my time in the U.S. um so I tend to write in English for that reason more right right okay um you've said that your amnesia was absolutely life-altering um and uh, could you talk a little bit about how this experience changed uh, your writing and also yeah. your desire to write this memoir in particular? Yeah. Um, how did it change my writing? You know, one of the things that happened with Amnesia is that I think that I, before Amnesia, I I had such a strong connection to language and to, and to words. And I, you know, almost would make an emotional hierarchy of language would be at the top and experience would be kind of um, subservient to it. Mm-hmm. And I think during Amnesia, what I discovered is that I was feeling so many things that didn't have words or perhaps that I, you know, also another thing that was happening was that I couldn't remember a lot of the words for things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I I was often in this space of not having the words for something but that didn't feel like a loss but it because it allowed me to kind of dwell in the experience of what I was feeling in a way that is very different when it's mediated through language Mm -hmm. so I think through amnesia I just fell in love with that with that wordless stage when you're just living in the emotion of something or you're living kind of in the in the middle of an experience Mm -hmm. and you're not and like no language is forming but you're just there um, so I just I really kind of started to see the value and the the piece of that. Mm-hmm. But you know, and later when I when I recovered my memory, I'm still a writer. I'm still someone who who loves language and and loves to to create. 
uh, you know, combinations and experiment with sounds. Um, and for me to, to experiment across languages and try to use like Spanish grammar on English and see what happens. Um, and yeah, but I, but I think that part of me now that I've been through amnesia has this reverence for when we don't have the words for something or, you know, like how sometimes that is the most precise way to to say something I'm, I'm making yeah. square quotes yeah. to say something than to actually kind of give it language um so I so I, I think now I I I'm maybe more a writer that sees the contradiction in the act of writing right right I think um somewhere uh in in the final chapter um uh, you were talking about how um the the writing of it you know is not the final component it's you know it's everything it's the experience of it um mm -hmm. yeah so, yeah um yeah yeah and I, th I think as far as the the I, I think that I as far as the book goes and like writing the memoir um the the experience of amnesia really kind of told me gave me the I think the tone with how you know how the book should be written mm -hmm. because before um I think I had tried to write this you know a similar story or some of the stories of my grandfather before and I kept getting caught up in how other people were receiving what I was saying right. um so I would I would kind of like hear a lot of you know sometimes it would be very corrective like Oh, but what you're writing is a fiction story is some you know something that people would tell me um and yeah and so i think i just kind of get kept getting caught up in like what are the what are the politics of how people are hearing the story and how should i deal with that right. and i think during amnesia when i you know these memories of like my um my grandfather's stories and, and my mother's stories came back they weren't mediated by a worry of how they would be received, but I just kind of received them, you know, as if for the first time. And so I had this, this opportunity to just really hear them and make my own opinion about them or make my own value system appreciation of them right. without any kind of, uh, I don't know, tinkering or manipulation from anything outside of that. Yeah. And so I think because of that, um, there was a way in which I was telling myself those stories, you know, because when you remember something, it's it's a way that you're telling yourself a story. Mm -hmm. um, I just I could hear the tone that I had always wanted or I could hear the way that I was telling it to myself. I was like, that's the way that it should be told. Right. Um, so really kind of amnesia just gave me um, it just it just opened the right door for me to be able to tell it. Mm hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and so as someone who uh, loves to identify symbols, connections, layers in text, um, I was absolutely mesmerized and impressed by um, the intricacy of your themes. And I know that you've talked about like the ideas and how you wove them together. Um, but one that may be more subtle, but one that really did stand out was uh, was color. Um, I it came up in some of the strongest scenes: um, the black well, the black dress, um, the white ashes, the white cows, even the white room. Um, was this really intentional? Um, 
you know, I it just it came out of the my listening to the story. So I um when I was writing my mother's accident and and my accident, there's a chapter in the book that tells them at the same time. So even though they're, you know, 30 something years apart, mm -hmm. um, I was I just I really love the idea of shrinking time and then telling these two events together. Mm -hmm. So what I the the process of that was that I would I would write, you know, a chunk of what had happened to me and then I would um or I would edit because I think I had some of that material before. Um, and then I would call my mother and I would ask her about just a, a small part of the story of how she had fallen into the well. So at some point when I was doing that and I was asking her to me uh, to, to describe what, you know, what was the attraction of, of this empty well that she had looked into, um, you know, the one that she fell into. Um, and she was just describing like the the blackness of it and how, you know, the, the reason why she had gone to kind of go look into this well was that she had been told like it's going to be the blackest black that you will ever see in your life. And that to her, she was eight years old, was like very, um, you know, entrancing and she couldn't wait. Um, so then, you know, I kind of like hung up with her and then I was just um re you know putting into the text the next part of uh my accident which was when I was on my way to pick up this it was a black dress and I was obsessed with this black dress which I still have um is when somebody like opened their car door into the bike lane and that's when I crashed and that was my accident that resulted in amnesia so because I was putting the two together and I was writing them that way I just in immediately noticed the theme of the black, the yeah. black and the black. Mm -hmm. um, and so then what, what that meant is that anytime that I was, you know, going forward in the story, anytime that the color black would come up, I would, I would pay close attention and I would try to see if there was a connection of that black to the, to the black of the well or to the mm -hmm. black of the dress. Mm -hmm. um, and if, and, and if I could see a connection, um, then I would I would kind of try to write it that way so that yeah. the reader might might get like that yeah. sense of yeah. this is a building um, theme in, in this memoir. Yeah. Yeah. I love I love that theme. Um, so that was my next question. What became of the dress? <laughs> you still have it? <laughs> I still have it. Um, I, you know, like, my, yeah, my mother said, you know, don't. I sent her a photo of it um, mm -hmm. and my mother said, you know, don't, don't go near this dress. Like this dress um, has something bad will happen around this bad dress. It's going to turn you into a widow. Um, and I didn't listen to her. And, you know, of course, then I had my accident that resulted in amnesia. Um, and yeah, I, as far as I'm concerned, I feel like if it was, if it was going to do something, it already did it. Do you know what I mean? Like it, yeah. it's almost like it had one curse on it or something. Right. <laughs> 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 and, so, and so like, you know, like the battery of the curse has run out. <laughs> um, so could you tell me a little bit about what you were reading um, when you were writing this memoir? And I know that in within the memoir, uh, there are some books, uh, you know, that you pick up. There are some things that you consult. But um, what are some of the the things that you kind of came back to or um, use when you were writing this? 
Um, let's see. I think uh, Woman Warrior was one that I that I reread again while I was writing the memoir. Um, and I was very interested in the way that that book is kind of folding, um, you know, family storytelling back into the memoir mm-hmm. and it's folding ghost stories back into the memoir. So I was very interested in, in that book for that reason. And it's um, a book that I just deeply love and admire. Um, I was also reading a lot of um, a lot of kind of um, sociology and ethnographies mm-hmm. um, of Colombia. I was I read the history of the mirror, uh, which is one of the one of the themes that I was developing for the book. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just called the mirror, um, and I was reading a lot of poetry um and I think that when when I'm when I'm drafting I I find that if I I read like too much in the genre that I'm that I'm writing in mm-hmm. that somehow I, I start to get stuck um mm-hmm. maybe because it's ju- I start to notice like oh what did this person do what should I do and I just kind of get stuck in that mm-hmm. so I I really love to to read outside of the genre that I'm working on oh. um and then it, I, and then I'm just kind of in in a maybe like a language field where I'm just admiring language and I'm just excited about ideas and mm-hmm. I'm not getting caught up on, oh this person did it this way what should I do right um right. type of thing yeah it's maybe more intuitive and less like self aware or yeah being yeah. as you write you know <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah I think I try to be um as like the the least self aware when I'm writing so mm-hmm. that I can. So I can just write, you know, maybe like the the true form of what the book wants to be, as opposed mm-hmm. to having a fully formed idea of of right. what it should be. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. So my final and much less serious question is: Are you dressing up for Halloween? I I, I am. I have this. <laughs> um, it's like this lacy kind of widow outfit but I'm gonna add roller skates oh that's awesome I think I'm gonna try <laughs> you know do you know how there's like these um roller skate girls who would like deliver food yeah mm-hmm. so I think I'm gonna have a tray and I'm gonna be deliver delivering like poisons is yeah. what I think it's oh. just gonna be like a mashup of <laughs> <laughs> that's great I love it are a mashup a, of things are you a good skater uh yeah yeah uh I'm not like amazing but I but I can I can skate and dance so. yeah oh that's awesome <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's really cool are you are you having are you dressing up yeah um m- my whole family we're gonna be uh Vikings because my my oh, three-year-old picked that out so yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah I, I, you're in San Francisco right are there yes, places yeah. to skate that aren't super hilly there are some places. I'm going to a to a friend's house. A friend is. Uh, I think she she's maybe having a party at her art studio. So there's. So it's gonna be flat. Yeah. And I'm, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I've never been. Um. All right. Well, thank you so so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me and um especially about this wonderful memoir. It's really really remarkable. Um, Thank you. Thank you so much. I very much appreciate that. Thank you.
Be sure to stop by and see Ingrid Rojas Contreras at Miami Book Fair, 13, uh, November 13 to 20 in beautiful Miami, Florida, and pick up a copy of her incredible memoir, The Man Who Could Move Clouds, a memoir. Thank you.